Howdy, folks. Welcome back to Wally Sportsman Show. Today, I'm joined by my brother, Austin Riley. You want to say hi? Hey, everybody. How you doing? Good. Good. Doing all right. It is Tuesday, and our deer season here, or at least where we hunted, has ended. So I thought, what not a better time to talk about the Blaze Orange Army of the Midwest. Every deer opener, we got the same traditions. We got the same, uh, you know culture behind uh behind deer season so i brought austin on to talk with me a little bit about that um because you know we go through it every year so without further ado let's jump right into our week in review so our last two weeks in review because this is a two-week episode you know let's talk about our opening weekend what all happened it was there's not a whole lot to talk about and then we can talk about um the second weekend what what'll happen there and we're officially done now to just let you guys know um, we hunt where there's a two week season and we're done now. I know a lot of these places up north, they got the three week season. We're not lucky enough to have that, um, but we'll talk a little bit more about that a little later. But uh, you want to kick it off with opening opening day? What all happened? Oh, from E. All right. Um, well, uh, it's just like any other season. Uh, I get up early. Um, and it kind of, it's one of those weird feelings though. Cause it's like, it's not like a regular day when you wake up early, you know, or if you're doing something else, it's like you wake up, but you're like full energy. You're not tired. You know, like you're you don't, excited. you don't need the bangs. Yeah. You don't. Well, need yeah. Bangs. You're not like, Oh, I need an energy drink or coffee. Like you're already full energy. Cause you're excited. You want to get out there. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I get up early. I get all my stuff. Get like for me, I get all my stuff in the truck and I drive over to, uh, to your, you and dad's house. And uh, load everything up. We get out there and um, kind of come up with a game plan where everybody wants to sit. So we have a rough idea of um, where we can find everybody. And then, uh, yeah, uh, get out in the stand about 45 minutes to a half hour before shooting hours. Um, kind of get a layout of where you're at and what things are starting to look like. And, yeah, and then the the wait starts, you know. And, uh, yeah, it's opening morning is just like. Uh, a weird, weird deal because it's like you haven't sat in the woods. Well, unless you're bow hunting or, you know, uh, doing youth hunt or antlerless hunt. But for most guys, it's the first day in the woods in a long time. So it's like you're just on high alert. Like a leaf hits the ground and you're like, oh, oh you know. So it's, I don't know, it's just kind of the whole adaptation of getting back into it. And it's like it's yeah. new every year. <laughs> so you know it's like it's all brand new so it's like you got to start distinguishing what are your squirrels all right what's a deer walk in <laughs> you know and then you know you, you get the jitters i mean you're just excited you want to you want to get your deer and and uh, i mean you're waiting for that big buck to come by um but yeah i mean opening morning it's just something that to experience because it's just it's a feeling unlike any other i guess you would say Let's talk about that low light period every morning. So at least every opening morning, there's that low light period where every log or everything that looks like the shape of a deer, which even if it's just a branch, like during that low light period, your eyes are just like tripping out. And you always see those, you know, shapes and silhouettes of deer oh, yeah. are never there. It's so funny. It's like every opening morning <laughs> that always happens. It's like that, yeah. that 15 minute window where it's light enough where you can see that stuff, but, you know, not light enough where you can't see exactly what it is. Well, and it's like everything in your peripherals. Yeah. You know, everything, <laughs> everything. in your peripherals just manifests itself into a deer. <laughs> and, it, you know, and it's like, oh, oh, oh. and then you look and you're like, oh, it's, 
it's just a couple of branches that kind of look like a deer and you know, the winds move in and well, if you know, if it's a windy day or whatnot morning, but it's like, then the winds move in. So it's like something sounds like a deer and then like the tree branches. Yeah. So everything starts tripping with your mind and yeah, you definitely start like <laughs> manifesting these deer inside your brain that are all around you. Oh yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. And yeah. Oh yeah. And the good news is this opener, me and the old man, we didn't have to wait too long to find some success because what he he shot his uh his buck around what nine o'clock? No, it was closer. To 11, no, wasn't it? it was it was uh, like ten to eleven because we were actually yeah. going to come in and uh, eat lunch, lunch. At around eleven yeah. thirty. So yeah, we were kind of getting to that point in the day where it's like, all right, it's kind of the lull. Yeah, you know, uh-huh. they're usually bedded down in that time, or um, so it's kind of like the lull period. And, uh, yeah, yeah, that buck came through, and uh, he shot that, and then that doe ran right behind you, and, and you ended up shooting uh-huh. that doe. So, yeah, it was, you guys, you know, it was it was a pretty good opener. I mean, I think, in, in general, whenever you get a deer on opener, like, it's it's a pretty, yeah. you can call that it's a, a successful start. opener. You know? It's a good start. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and you got to also think this, that's kind of like, uh, you know, everything's uneducated at that point. You know, the deer don't mm-hmm. quite know that's, that they're being hunted. So, yep, that's my favorite day of the year because the deer are, are fresh and then you have Sunday roll by and then the deer completely change. They stop moving. It turns into a whole different oh, ballgame. Yeah. Fast. I mean, even Saturday night, things, things start mm-hmm. to really uh, change drastically where uh, deer are definitely a lot more alert. They're looking around a lot more. They're, they're checking wind a lot more. So, yeah, you know, it, um yeah it changes but yeah definitely that that opening morning like yeah you guys didn't have to wait super long especially mm-hmm. this year we've had years where we don't get anything we don't even see anything opening morning so that was a um a nice kind of like refresher you know yep. to actually have some success on opening morning so yeah that was nice mm-hmm. yeah and then the rest of the weekend went by and i think so we some people saw stuff like i think you saw that doe Maybe that I'm thinking of Friday. Uh, no, I think I'm thinking of Friday. Opening weekend, I saw the yearlings. Yeah, that that's Saturday right. you had night. The three yearlings by you. Yeah, I had the three yearlings that walked like ten yards from my stand. So that was pretty neat. Like they stood around for a little while, so I just kind of watched them. They were playing around and whatnot. So, mm-hmm. And then they were back Sunday morning. So. And and then and then one of them got shot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the neighbor got shot. One of them. Yep. <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of disheartened, you know, kind of like my little buddies. But uh, yeah, so but well, not you know, to mention like you have a dog about the size of one. <laughs> yeah, but you know, like I mean, at the end of the day, I guess you know that's that's the name of the game. You know, everybody's yeah. out there for the same purpose. It's it's not like anybody's out there for any other reason. You know, everybody's out there yeah. trying to get a deer. So it's one of those things too, where it's like you know. Uh, everything comes down to like personal preference. If you want to pass on a deer, it doesn't necessarily mean the neighbor guy is going to pass on that deer. So, mm-hmm. um, especially yeah. if you're limited on property, like, you yeah, know, they, like, they walk, they move and they're going to move to the other properties. Yeah. And like, especially where we hunt, you know, we we're mm-hmm. sitting on about 80 acres. So it's like, you know, it's not big enough to, you know, hold deer, you know, all day. So they're going to meander around and they come and go to, neighboring properties and some make it back some don't so um yeah that's that was about my success of opening weekend uh just a couple (laughs) year late yeah and the rest of the weekend went by we didn't shoot anything Uh, and then uh, we hunted that 
like my oldest, our oldest brother, Jake, he hunted with dad and I that Monday. We didn't really see anything at all that day. Uh, you know, maybe like the occasional, oh, way too far kind of thing or like, oh, up on the yeah. ridge. Nothing close enough to get some action. But then we came out Friday, a daily. So, so Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we hunted all of last weekend. And uh, that was that was pretty fun. Friday was pretty, pretty mellowed out, if I remember right. I know you saw that doe uh, that you shot at. Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah the, <laughs> yeah, the only deer I get to shoot at all uh, hunting season. Yeah, as well. Uh, how, how far was it? Like sixty yards away on a dead run. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you know, I kind of weighed my options there, and I figure I give it a try. But um, yeah, it was just one of those things. It's like that's the only deer I'd seen. Period. Mm-hmm. That was well. That <laughs> yeah. I was uh, comfortable shooting. I wasn't going to shoot a yearling this year, so. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I figured out oh, I'll give it a whirl and obviously I didn't I didn't get her. So Yeah, and then Saturday came up and we had that huge cold front come in, all that snow. That was fun. We had Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. You know, it's all windy right in your face kind of thing. I actually shot at a doe on Saturday night and missed. It's quite the poke across the swamp. Uh, but I did not end up getting her. You know, the snow is coming down pretty good, so I'm sure I just went right underneath her cuz I didn't aim up at all but uh sunday sunday came around and we had that nice fresh powder on the ground and we had some i had some good action you didn't really have anything but i had some really good action no. right away um no. that a doe came i had a doe come maybe you know 100 yards away from me uh south of me went by and then probably i don't know 10 minutes later i had a buck following her scent but Here's the thing about that doe is she came so far south of me. So she's she's cutting like perpendicular to me or to south of me. It was she was cutting like 90 degrees. And then she got so far and she smelt me and then she ran back the way she came. So when that buck came and followed her in, it was funny because he was like sitting where she turned around confused because he couldn't hang on to that scent. So he goes southeast, which is like away from me, away from you too. Um, southwest is more or less north would that be northeast is towards you so they're going in you know that opposite direction in order to come to you and then a little while later further even further down yet i saw another buck kind of getting after the same scent trail uh i lost track of that first buck so i can't for sure say that it wasn't the same buck as before but it looked different coming in from you know the west so it'd be kind of hard for that to be the same buck and then from right in front of me, which is straight east, uh, I see, you know, I'm looking down south because that's where all the deer are. And then I see this buck coming in and it's coming in through the wood line, which is, I don't know, probably 50, 50, 60 yards away. I'm kind of in the, tucked away in this little swamp. Uh, it's kind of a valley in a sense. And um, that buck is on the wood line and he's going right for that scent trail. And he comes out into this little opening. Cause I I'm in this like kind of like swampy prairie where it's more open, but he cuts out into that swampy prairie about, you know, how far of a shot do you think that was Oz? Yeah, probably about 50 yards. Yeah. He comes out about 50 yards and I shoot him. I drop him. He's my first drop deer. Uh, I ended up shooting him in the neck, which was not where I'm a- I was aiming, but I'm not complaining. You know, I was a little shaky. That's my biggest buck ever, but uh, glad I'm glad I got him down, and that's my biggest buck ever, and you, if you look at my Instagram, he's sitting there, uh, really tall, eight. I think he's he's past the ears by a little margin, 
you know, it's my, my biggest buck ever. And with a body that was pushing 200, I, you know, it's really hard to complain. And I was really glad to be blessed with such a, such an awesome deer to end up the season. And oh boy, we got a ton of meat out of him. He was a thick boy, thick old neck. He was ready. And that doe, that doe was ready too. And that made all the difference, you know, that, that big cold front got him moving. And that's, uh, that was pretty cool. Yeah. Oh yeah. And it, you know, you ever notice, like I always, it always seems to be like we get the best deer hunting in the worst weather. <laughs> yeah. It sucked. It you was know so what cold I mean? that morning. Like, yeah. yeah, it's like, but it almost feels unnatural. You know, when you're yeah. sitting in the deer stand, it's like 65 degrees. That was sitting the first out there and was Yeah. Hot. And you're sitting out there in like pants and a t-shirt and then you got your <laughs> orange sweatshirt or jacket or vest or whatever you're wearing. But it's like, like this doesn't seem like deer hunting you know yeah and then like second week it came around and it's like it was cold and those it was like a sleet snow mix it was windy yeah so we had like 20 mile an hour winds and it's just blowing right in your face you know and that snow packing into your face and your beard Mm -hmm. and and then it's like yeah this this is deer hunting you know like (laughs) yeah it's gotta be like a, a slight bit of like (laughs) suck to it you know like this kind of sucks you know but and that's what makes deer hunting well yeah so it's like (laughs) i you know like when it's hot like that i'm like god this doesn't feel like a a traditional deer hunt but then Mm -hmm. it's like second we can kind of like revamp that feeling made it right yeah yep yep, this mm -hmm, this is where it's (laughs) at this is what i remember (laughs) yep you know and you barely can keep your eyes open because you're just mm-hmm. getting all the snow or rain in the face and it's like, but you're still doing it because you just got to keep looking, you know, you're trying to find that yeah. deer, but yeah. So no, it was perfect weather conditions that second weekend for deer. So. Uh-huh. Yeah. So we got kind of that, you know, our week in review, two weeks in review, kind of out of the way. So now we're going to talk about the blaze orange army. And for anybody who does not know, or is not familiar with the Midwest deer opener traditions, it's everywhere you look blaze orange everywhere in the woods blaze orange everybody's deer hunting looking for a deer so we're going to talk about some of our favorite traditions from that time in the midwest and hopefully we get them all because there's a lot of them there's a lot of you know the little details that everybody i'm sure can relate to at some point and so <laughs> we'll, we'll kick her off with the traffic going north opening weekend or every saturday of the deer season you know it's just nuts everywhere you know, I'm oh, sure you yeah. could talk a little bit about that too. It's just, it's well, funny because we go south and everybody else is going north. So it's just complete opposites. Well, yeah, it's like that's the kicker. Like, it's just, it's unreal. Um, the amount, like, I get it. A lot of people hunt up north or they have land up north that they hunt and whatnot. But it's like the magnitude is what really is just kind of baffling when you think about it because it's like we get on the highway you know saturday morning of opener um because a lot of a lot of traffic friday friday afternoon is just unruly heading north it's bumper to bumper it's just crazy the amount of guys and it's trucks and trailers and campers and ice castles and it's just crazy um the amount of traffic heading north and it's like it's kind of a blessing that we hunt south because it's like we never have traffic never have any of that so it's just odd because it's always like we're heading south and all these other vehicles are heading north but yeah it's it's crazy um 
deer, deer hunting, you know, like uh, Minnesota this year, they were talking something around the ballpark of like half a million um, uh, hunters in, in just the state alone. So it's like, you got to think a lot of people are going North for that. So you definitely see the magnitude of that. And then on top of it, it's like, so even after deer season, so like on Sunday afternoon and, and whatnot. Uh, so that's a whole rush coming back South too. Well, yeah. Cause we start heading North then. And then it's bumper to bumper traffic. All those guys and gals are coming South now. So <laughs> yeah. It's, big, great so yeah, it's like clear sailing, you know, are we, uh, the highway's wide open for us, you know, mm-hmm. but it's like, you look over <laughs> in the other lane, it's like, oh Lord, it's just unbelievable the amount of traffic. But what's cool is it's, it's so distinguishable that everybody's a hunter because everybody's got blaze orange hats <laughs> on or, or jackets yeah. on in every vehicle. And then on top of it, it's like, there's you know some people are successful during that time so it's like they have deer on their trailer or deer (laughs) tied to the top of their car or deer tied to their four wheelers or deer hanging out the bed of their truck it's just crazy um (laughs) yeah so yeah it's pretty cool to see it's you know for a lot of people um it's probably kind of an oddity if they're not from an area that uh embraces deer hunting uh in a vast number like we do but um, yeah. around here, it's just like, it's almost like a holiday. Um, this is like so, Min- yeah. Minnesota heritage at its top. You know, at its peak, this is Minnesota heritage through and through, if you ask me. Oh, I mean, for, I mean, for God's sakes, like my work um, recognizes that Friday, the first Friday before deer opener is a holiday. <laughs> so they don't, you know, you work it if you want, but they, they plan it out as a holiday. So they don't schedule any work for that day because they just know that 95% of the employees are not going to be at work that day because they're getting ready to go deer hunting. So it's, (laughs) and that's the thing around here is like, it's, it's almost like, uh, you know, it's like Christmas in November, you know, everybody kind of partakes in it in some way or another. Um, and it affects, I think at the end of the day, like deer opener in Minnesota, it affects everybody's lives. In, in some form or fashion, you know, whether you work at the supermarket or at the hunting store, like you're going to see the hunters, they're going to be around, they're going to be, they're everywhere. It's crazy, but it's one of the coolest things because it's like as a community and as a state, like, it's like, wow, look at, we're all, we're all after one thing here. We're all kind of in it together, you know? So I don't know. That's, that's definitely like a cool thing to be a, be a part of. Yeah, except for the guys that have uh, garden sheds in the sky. <laughs> right. They're, they can yeah. do their own thing. <laughs> right, yeah. So that's that's unreal. So Yeah. Well we'll talk about that here in a little bit, but let's talk about some more of these kind of Midwest deer hunting cultures. So like you said, that Friday before, you know, your work recognizes that as a holiday, which is pretty cool. But let's talk about talking about opening weekend all week long that first week so you know leading up to opener there's all you and like everybody you know who hunts like all you guys are talking about is just straight deer hunting like oh where are you going like oh you getting out this weekend or you know i'm so excited to get out and you know try out my new you know gun or something like that or just get out there it's just that's like a whole <laughs> whole well, set of conversations you can have that whole week yeah. leading up well definitely everybody's showing pictures of uh bucks that they have on trail cam and where <laughs> yeah. they're going hunting, you know, and, you know, and some people do the trail cam thing a lot more than others and whatnot, which, you know, to each their own. 
Um, but yeah, guys are like, oh, I see this on my property or, oh, I'm going to try doing this this year. So yeah, it's, it's definitely something that brings people together in a way that a lot of things don't. It's just, it's weird. It, it And like I said, it, it affects everybody in this state to some degree. So it's like everybody has a little bit of an input in it, you know? Um, so yeah, no, definitely it's the talk of the town kind of deal. You know, everybody's got something to say about whether deer hunting and whatnot. So mm-hmm. next up, we'll talk about the bars up North or anywhere you're hunting. Uh, you know, you get done with a, a day of hunting and you, you go to the bar for a meal and everybody is shooting the shit on the day, you know, what happened in the weekend and just, you know, I got this big old buck down or I saw this one and it was too far or this, that, and, you want to talk a little yeah. bit more about that? I haven't really oh, had yeah. that in a situation. Yeah, definitely. So the thing I've noticed about when you're in the bar during deer season is nobody's ever missed a shot. <laughs> you know? So everybody, nobody, everybody turns into Chris Kyle over here. Yeah, <laughs> nobody misses a single shot. You know, they're not going to tell you, oh, yeah, I missed this eight-pointer, you know, or I missed this doe I was after. No, it's just kind of funny. But, yeah, it's. You know, and it's like I said, it's another one of those social gathering kind of things. You know, everybody kind of shoots the shit and talks about the deer they saw or, you know, the deer they got, which at the bar, for some reason, I I could just be the culture or the liquor. I'm not quite sure, but the deer generally get bigger than what they actually are. You know, (laughs) so you imagine, you know, like pre-cell phones like oh i got like a 12 pointer back at home it's just like a little forky or something but now we have to have the pictures <laughs> <Yep>. to back it up <laughs> yeah yeah so now it's definitely like pics or it didn't happen kind of deal um but yeah um you know every every deer manages to gain 50 pounds while you're at the bar but um yeah no it's like i said it's another one of those culture things um everybody kind of comes together to share in their successes and and in their failures and um you know, and in and some in some degree too, seek advice from other hunters and like-minded individuals on what's going on in the area, and maybe something that you're doing wrong, or maybe something you've had success with that you want to pass on to another hunter or mention is a possibility for them. So, yeah, just another one of those kind of traditional communal kind of thing. things. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So next, we're going to talk about the sandwiches for lunch, whether they're in the truck, in the stand, or anywhere between they hit different. You know, you're hungry all morning and then you finally get to bite into that sandwich. It's just, you know, magical. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah. What's your favorite sandwich to, to have, you know, when we can't quite get that uh, that homemade lunch? Uh, I guess for me at that point, it's pretty much anything. You <laughs> yeah. know, like, you're kind of hungry, you know? You've been sitting all day, which is kind of funny because you're you're not, like, physically exerting any energy, you mm-hmm. know? Unless you're one of those groups that does drives and whatnot, we do some driving, but um, which we can mention a little bit later on what a drive is. But uh, yeah, um, you know, for the most part, you're not really exerting much energy. Uh, you're kind of just sitting there, but like mentally, it, it can be uh, taxing and exhausting. Um, but yeah, it's it's weird. You, you manage to develop uh, quite a hunger just sitting in the deer stand. So yeah, it's like for me, any kind of sandwich, ham, turkey. I don't baloney. I don't really matter to me. I'll eat. I'll eat it. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. And then we could talk about like you know how good like that homemade food tastes after a long day hunting. You know, you come home for supper and your you know mom's got something cooking up or you know the 
the lady that we hunt at her property, uh, you know, she's cooking up, you know, a good meal. And it's just like oh, that food at the end of the day, when you're tired, it's completely different. And uh, <laughs> nobody can yeah. convince me otherwise. <laughs> right. And it's like our cousin, we, we hunt with her cousin and uh, his wife. Um, I don't know what she puts in the food or what it is <laughs> about her cooking, but it's just amazing food, you know? Yeah. And it's like, it's just unreal because it's like you're hungry and if you're not having sandwiches or sitting all day, if you take, you know, a half hour, an hour break and come in and get something to eat before you go sit for the afternoon, you know, and it's not like, I don't know how you would put it. It's not like normal meals, you know, <laughs> it's magical. You, you, well, <laughs> that, but, um, you know, you swear you're feeding a party of things, you know, like it's just the spread. Is just unreal. And I know like one of the biggest meals, like year after year, she makes it every year for us is biscuits and gravy. And it's just like a huge crock pot full, of, like the best gravy and sausage that like I've ever had in my life. And then over biscuits and then there's <laughs> always fruit and different stuff. And it's Pastries. just, Oh yeah. And all sorts mm -hmm. of muffins and things like that. And it's just, I like you'd swear you were hosting a wedding or a party, but it's just <laughs> for the, you know, it's just for the people coming in to sit down and eat. And, but it's just, yeah, it's definitely like, it's hearty food too. It's like something that's going to just sit in your gut for a while and kind of tide you over for the rest of the day. So, but it's just definitely, it's, um, like the food is just something else too. It's like, you know, everybody has that signature thing. Um, I know I've hunted with a couple other groups and it's like, there's always like that signature dish that's made only for deer season, you know, and you don't really have it any other time of the year. It's just for deer season. So um, you get a lot of that. And um, I think that kind of part of that plays into the whole experience as well. So kind of a traditional yeah. thing. For sure. For sure. So I think this this next one is something that almost every hunter can relate to. And it's those conversations you have with the people you're hunting with when you're taking off your stuff for the day. You know, you're back at the truck, you're taking off your boots, taking off your jackets and all that. And, you know, you're just shooting the shit by the truck. I think some of those conversations can, you know, be some of the most fun. You know, let's say somebody missed and you're razzing them or, you know, some, somebody oh, yeah. shot. <laughs> yeah, somebody shot. And, <laughs> and uh, you're like, oh, you know, good job kind of thing. But those conversations back at the truck, like the, the vibes, I don't know if that's a, a word that I can use for on the, my, my demographic, but like, just like the overall feeling from those conversations are like unreal. Like they, they, they're, it's like, I don't know. It's hard to explain. You have a, a better well, way to explain those. Well, it's like, uh, well, cause like, um, in Minnesota here, you know, we can party hunt. Right. So it's not every man for himself. That's not how it works. So it's everybody kind of hunts in one big group. And and so mm -hmm. when we shoot deer, it's 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 not like, oh, I shot this big buck and or I shot this doe and it's for me. No, it, it's 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 for the group. So you all hunt with this like group mentality, kind of like this yeah. pack mentality. You're all out there together and you're all trying to harvest together. And, you know, it, that's if you hunt with a group, some people hunt by themselves but like and then you come back together and it's just a massive flow of information 
you know, what did you see? What did you see? Oh, did you shoot? You shot? Did you get one? You know, and, and whatnot. So it's just like this overflow of information. And then if you're that one guy, like, uh, that, that Friday I was out, um, uh, towards second weekend there, I, I obviously, I missed my dose. So it's like, then I'm catching grief from every, <laughs> everybody in the party on how, yeah. how'd you miss and, you know, like what went wrong and, you know, but it, I mean, that's just kind of part of the, the camaraderie in it all. And, um, you know, and, and like I said, it's just this flood of information and sharing in the successes of your other party members and your other group. And, you know, so it, it's definitely, it's just a, like, a, it's like a team huddle, you know, since you're all yeah. kind of on one big team. So, mm-hmm. yeah, but no, definitely it's, it's a great experience. You know, and in those, those groups and in that huddle, like you said, you always have the recurring jokes and stories. So let, let's talk, let's tell one about our dad here real quick. So our, oh god, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is this we were bringing it up every year, and it's great because you know that's part of, that's part of the, the experience. So uh, we were doing a small drive on a bedded buck. You know there was four of us out there. You know Jake, you, Dad, and I, and, and Dad was set up, you know, down a little ways from where this buck was bedded. Our oldest brother was um, pushing. Was it going to push him towards my dad or towards me? I was back on the other side of the hill because this deer kind of had two choices on where he wanted to go. He could go towards my dad. He could go towards me. And then you were sitting in the in the stand that could oversee kind of everything that was going on. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, <laughs> this three-legged deer this you know, was wounded from, must have been shot by someone beforehand, uh, started, you know, stumbling out from he he got uh he got pushed out by our old brother Jake. He started stumbling out towards our old man, and our old man unloaded on him, you know, probably I don't know however far, and missed every time. And since that day on, every year we mentioned when he couldn't hit a three legged buck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and the, the catcher of it all is like I I had like an aerial view because I was up in my stand <laughs> yeah, and this is all everything. on a bottom, so I could see everything going on <laughs> and. Uh, it was just funny because it's like he, he, you know, and my own, obviously our old man's been hunting for, for years. So, um, he kind of had, Oh, I think he's going to go this way. And, and, and the deer really couldn't go uh, a lot of directions because it was right next to a bog and, uh, there's water in it too. So it's super mucky. So he wasn't going to try and cross that. So my dad set up where he thought he'd go. And of course that deer went right to him, but it was only like a 20 yard shot. And, I, you know, um, people can just about imagine a three-legged deer doesn't run as fast as a four-legged deer, you know? So, yeah. Um, yeah. So we always kind of give him grief for that because it was just, uh, it was just one of those, those moments too, where you just, you couldn't believe that the missing happened. Uh, but you know, I, that's how it goes though. You know, everybody misses. If they did tell you they don't miss, they're a liar. Um, everybody <laughs> misses. Um, but it was just one of those things where every week as kids we all got to watch it happen and so that made it even you know 10 times worse for razzing him about it too because <laughs> yeah. we all got to see it happen so we're, we're never going to forget that no that <laughs> will be one of those stories that happens for generations that will be and told we'll tell about. yeah we'll tell our your our kids about it and then and you know their our kids, grandkids, and, but, oh yeah. yeah it'll be one of those <laughs> you won't believe what happened so yeah <laughs> yeah so uh we got one more, our very last one, and let's talk about, you know, the, the culture behind deer camp. 
you know, everybody's, like we said, most people are going up north, but everybody's traveling to these, you know, pretty much shacks. It depends on how, how lavish they are. Some of them are, you know, little, little tin, tin shacks, or some of them are really nice cabins, but everybody's traveling to these places to be together. You know, it's where you sleep, it's where you eat. And then most of all, it's where you shoot the shit with everybody at the end of the day. You know, you get ready at the beginning of the day, but just like that overall, like, you know, setting of deer camp you want to talk a little bit about that you know i know we don't really have like a true deer camp like most people do but i know you've been to a couple so i know you can probably speak to this a little bit more than i can yeah um in my experiences deer camp is like uh how would you explain it it's like um freedom i guess you would say in in essence it's like a break from everything right yeah so no job um well yeah and it, it's just one of those things like um so buddy my we used to go quite a ways up north and uh so it's like we're we're in the middle of nowhere right and then we hit deer camp which um was like a pretty nice camper that he had up there and heat and everything but it's like there's there's no towns around there's there's no cars driving by the highway there, you know, you, you hear nothing. All you are in is, is strictly nature. You don't see anything man-made except for your deer stand. And it's just like, it's like a whole different world. Like deer camp is for me, like you immerse yourself in it, you know, and you embrace that there's going to be some hardships with it because it's like you're for the most part, you're away from like the modern luxuries of life and but it, it all plays into that experience and it all plays into that feeling of more, I, I, more like of a primitive thing. Yeah. You no, know? mm-hmm. it, it, you know, you're hunting, like I get it. We you know, obviously have evolved over the years. We use guns and whatnot, but it's still the fact that like, you're getting out there, you're getting into the wild. You, there's nothing, you know, around you to help you as far as like up there, we don't have running water. We don't have power, you know, everything's ran off natural gas or propane. So it's like you bring, what you bring in is what you have to pretty much survive yourself for the next three, four five days, however long you're going to hunt. You know, obviously you can run to town and whatnot, but it's, you know, town for us was 45 minutes away. You know, it wasn't right next door. So it's like, yeah, you know, it's like I said, it's just kind of like a whole different world. And I think that's why. Like the deer camp, and you know, I'm sure it's kind of the same throughout mid the Midwest here. It's just like a whole different uh, experience. And if if you you know, it's definitely some new experience as a hunter. It's just kind of a unique thing. And um, but yeah, no, deer camp is definitely something. It's something you look forward to, even though it can be hard. Mm-hmm. Be a lot of hardships at deer camp, you know. And yeah. like I said, it's not always the easiest thing, but it's something you willingly, openly embrace every year. So that's what makes it something different, something special. Yeah, for sure. So that kind of wraps up our Midwest deer hunting culture. I hope I kind of covered all the bases there. And I know for sure I missed a couple, um, you know, feel free to send me a DM on Instagram at Whirly sportsman show. We'll get that figured out and <laughs> we'll be sure to address it for next year because, you know, I know I miss some, I'll be hanging on to this list and, uh, <laughs> you know, there'll be another episode coming out next week, all about deer hunting on things we've missed, but, uh, that leaves us up for our personal experience deer hunting, which is 
you know, like we said, have said, been saying a lot different than most people because we go south, you know, we use shotguns, which I guess a good percentage of people do as well. But um, that's something that I know a lot, not a lot of people, you know, are kind of have to deal with. Um, and then we can also talk about some of our other things that we deal with or have to go through that not everyone else does, which I guess adds to our experience um, overall. So let's start with our stands. What do you consider a luxury stand where we hunt? <laughs> where we hunt? Yeah. Uh, four walls. Yeah. Two <laughs> <laughs> is luxury for me, I tell you what. You're right. So, yeah, I mean, we definitely aren't um, super lavish in the uh, deer stands that we construct. Although a lot of them, I'm not going to lie, a lot of those stands have been there. A long time 20 years you know 30 years and it's just you kind of add to them throughout the years to and it, you're not really adding any sort of commodities to them you're just more adding structural reinforcement <laughs> yeah. to make sure you stay upright you know um, uh-huh. but yeah i mean for the most part our wall or our stands have two walls um some of them only have one um mine don't have any yeah well yeah you're in a ladder stand though that's <laughs> a little bit different but in the ones we do construct i mean it's just basic it's nothing nothing fancy no roofs no none of that just mm-hmm. you know a couple walls to try and uh uh break the wind and yeah just uh a pallet or uh or uh you know a couple of two by fours um you know 10 feet up in the air on top you know <laughs> yeah nailed down to the biggest tree in the area you know so mm-hmm. yeah nothing too special with uh stands that we have yeah and not to mention the really awkwardly spaced ladder rungs getting to get into the stands you know like there is always that stand that has like they're they're all homemade but then they have that that one step that should be it's like way too high so you know you're in all your your warm stuff your bibs and everything you're trying to reach up your leg up to get to that final rung to get up to the top that seems to be a struggle that we have every year at least when i'm sitting those kind of stands oh yeah and you know i actually finally figured it out this year I was sitting in my What's stand. That? I wasn't seeing a lot of deer, and I'm like, you know what? I build this thing in the middle of the summer when I'm out here in blue jeans. You know, I don't have like eight <laughs> yeah. layers on trying to yeah. fight back the you know the negative temps or the low temps. So then it's like then I get out there when it's actual deer season, and I got bibs on and long underwear and blue jeans and everything else and jackets galore, and and then I'm trying to crawl up in there, and I'm like. Oh, I see. I see what's going on here. You know, like I, I definitely made this more suitable for somebody in a pair of blue jeans and a t-shirt. So I figured it out. So now I think next summer when we go fix stands and make sure everything works, I'm going to have to wear my bibs in the middle of the summer, <laughs> and my long underwear. <laughs> yeah. And then I can construct it so that it's more uh, accessible for when I'm in there. <laughs> sort of condition <laughs> wearing them clothes so yeah yeah what kind of what kind of guns are we using where we're hunting uh so obviously in our zone it's strictly uh shotgun or muzzle loader um but like for us personally we're just using um some older shotguns uh you're using your newer mossberg, mossberg. 500 yep that's what I, you got too yep i'm shooting a uh like a 19 19- 80s model uh, Mossberg mm-hmm. 500 and yep. then dad is shooting a like a 1970s Remington 
Um, so, and they're yeah. all twelve games. For clarification, uh, scratch that. Dad's using the Winchester. He's got an old Winchester that he shoots, which has some sort oh. of little <laughs> demon that lives in it. I've used that <laughs> gun before, and for some reason, your first shot's always great. It's it's when you pump it to throw that second shot in, it it's like a, a flip of the coin. It's like a 50-50 whether or not it's going to actually load the next round or if it's going to kick <laughs> it out the bottom of the gun. Um, it's funny, though, because I know Dad has taken it um, to a couple of gunsmiths to have them look at it, and they can't figure it out. <laughs> yeah. So it's okay. just funny because it's like, you know, it's just one of those guns when you use it, you know there's, some sort of little gremlin or demon that lives in that gun that's just like, you know what? <laughs> not <can't> today. <laughs> yeah, and it kicks that shell at the bottom. So, I mean, yeah, that's what we're using. We're not using anything crazy. Um, no scopes. Nothing fancy. No scopes. Everything's iron sights. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, where we hunt, generally your shots are 50 Somewhere close. max. Yeah. You know, like max. With, with the exception bottom. of like one stand kind of thing. Yeah, and that stand, I mean... You, you know your limitations, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's like for yeah. us, um, we're not we're not like these guys up north that have open areas where they're shooting, you know, 100, 200, 300 yards. You know, we have nothing like that. So, but mm-hmm. yeah, that's kind of the hardware that we're uh, toting around in the woods with us. And they all have slug barrels um, and they're, they're rifled for people who don't know. And then we're also using rifled slugs, uh, which that rifle barrel is actually meant for sabos which um i just found out it's pronounced that way but it's actually like you know what most people call sabots that rifle barrel is designed to be used for sabots but we're shooting rifled slugs out of it so it's kind of it's not really hindering or helping us to have those rifled slugs because that that rifled slug is meant for that smooth bore barrel which it would that rifled slug would give it some some spin and make it a little more efficient so what we're doing is not like how it was designed to be made. I know a lot of people do the same thing we do. It wasn't designed to be that way, but it works. And you know, the people who are doing all these research on shotguns, I have a whole book I've been reading about it. They're like, this is not how it's supposed to be, but yet it's still so effective and we don't know why kind of a thing, <laughs> which is, which is pretty cool. Um, I want to get into shooting some suppose, but that extra range is not something I really need. So who really knows if that's something I try? Not to mention they are expensive. So uh, we use that, you know, the, the rifled slugs, rifled barrels, um, you know, two and three quarter, 12 gauge. It, it's, it's got a little bit of a hammer to it when you pull the trigger, but you never feel it anyway. You're always too focused on killing that deer kind of thing. Oh, yeah. So uh, let's talk about the rope. And how you never want to forget it. See, I'm one of those people though that I like. I'd rather forget the rope. You know, yeah, that's, you ever... what, that's what I did, and then it sucked. <laughs> well, yeah, okay. So for the listeners that um, maybe don't deer hunt or anything like that, or maybe they have four wheelers, I don't know. So like where we hunt, um, we have some trails that are cut into the woods and around the land, but generally where we're sitting, we're a little ways off these trails. So when you shoot a deer. Um, you go down and, and get your deer out and clean it out. And then what you use the rope for is you got like a 10 foot little section of rope and you hook it up to your deer, you tie it off on your deer and you drag it through the woods to your trail or your truck or your cabin or whatever. But I'm one of those people where I feel like if I am over prepared, 
and I bring every little thing that is that I may need <laughs> yeah. to help me harvest a deer or whatnot, I won't see nothing. Mm-hmm. But if I That's forget I that felt. rope, yeah. And it, but if I forget that rope in the truck or the house, I shoot a <laughs> deer. Yeah. You know, and then I go, oh, I don't have I my rope. rope. <laughs> yeah. So I, then I'm, you know, dragging it by a leg or, or uh, hopefully it's a buck. I'm dragging it by the antlers or whatnot. But yeah, so. I did that uh, over the youth hunt. Dad's like, take that rope with you. You're going to need it. And I'm like, no, if I bring it with me, it's going to jinx me. And then he's like, bring it with. So I brought, I put it in my car to make him feel better. And then I left it in my car because I felt like it would jinx me. And then that was the same night I shot my doe. And that whole, <laughs> that rope would have been so handy to have because I had to drag this deer through, you know, probably one of my worst drags ever. You know, it wasn't a giant deer, but it was probably one of my worst drags, like. I ever had to do because I was just hauling it by its arm. You know, it was horrible. I was like, I was not having fun. I was by myself. Oh, too, so yeah. It didn't help. <laughs> well, and it's one of those things like, uh, you know, like 130 pound doe, like mm-hmm. even, or a 200 pound buck, like people in generally can drag that fairly easy, but yeah. then you have to factor in that you're dragging it through trees and bushes <laughs> brush. and over yeah. logs, to, you know, brush and whatnot. So it's like, it's, not as easy as it may sound to some individuals, but yeah, the <laughs> rope is a lifesaver, but I swear it's my kryptonite. It's also extremely crippling in my, uh, my successes. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about, um, what do we got up next? Let's talk about our knives and bone saws. Just kind of go over it real quick. Um, you know, obviously we use a knife for the whole gutting process, skinning process, quartering process, but that bone saw we use to cut the sternum and ribs, you know, up front. Um, so we make that initial cut kind of right in the middle, but then we use that bone saw to cut up to the top of the ribs. And then, um, we also use it by the pelvis to split the hips during that gutting process. Um, I, we just have, you know, you have a, a fairly, inexpensive knife that works really good for you dad has a buck knife um and i'm in the market for kind of a, a new knife but i ended up using my groomsman gift for uh for gotten out this last year and that actually worked really well so yeah I mean, who knows maybe i won't have to replace it at all yeah so just something no, we, to touch on it's very essential well yeah we never used to use those saws we always use the buck knife only you know <laughs> and uh buck knife is generally a very broad term um but um it's usually a knife that's quite a bit uh, uh, thicker steel, uh, something that could definitely take a beating. It's got a pretty good hilt on it, too. Um, but, uh, no, like, um, there was there was a point in time where that wasn't really a thing. Um, Gerber, I know, has one, and there's a couple other brands. They hadn't really made anything like that yet. So what we were doing is we'd use that knife to split the pelvis. And... Um, mm-hmm. God, the, them older bucks, it's like you'd be trying to split the pelvis, so you'd be trying to drive that knife down in there to split it, and it was just, you know, you're just beating on your knife and, and going to town on that thing. And then uh, there was one year that uh, Dad was shopping, I think, at Fleet Farm, and he noticed this thing, and he's like, huh. And so he actually got one, and uh, we tried it out that year on a – on a deer, I don't quite remember what it was, but it was like, wow, like this is this is In- way innovation. <laughs> well, and it's so basic, but it was like this is way better than you know sitting there 
beating that living hell out of your knife trying to get it to split this pelvis. Now you got this little saw. <laughs> Things, you know, and it, it's so basic and it's mm-hmm. just, it, but now it's become like, uh, an essential, uh, like a necessity, you know, mm-hmm. it's, yeah, it's an essential part of, uh, things that we carry. And now like each one of us carry one, you know? Yeah. So, but yeah, it's, it's definitely a game changer. It's something that's definitely, you know, helped us out in the years, but yeah, we, we used to do it the old way and that was, that was a lot harder back then. So, and, and that was before I even started hunting. So, you know, seven, eight years ago kind of thing. Uh, oh, so yeah. I, I don't, I don't remember you know, ever having to do that or watching dad do that before I really got hunting. So, you know, that's uh, a big innovation in the that's like a world. last 10 years thing kind of got bigger. Yeah. So, yeah. So next up, let's talk about heaters. We don't use them. And uh, for, for a very simple reason, you know, just, just wear, wear warm clothes, man. Just wear warm clothes. And, uh, you know, and all honesty, those heaters would help, but uh, you know, not worth the hassle, especially for the, the rough neck and we're doing, you know, not, well, not enough room in the stand and all that jazz. So you want to talk about that a little bit? Well, we got a couple of stands. It would definitely fit in, but I, I don't know what I'd be heating. You know, I turn the heater on. I got one wall, like in my, one of my stands, I kind of got one wall, like any sort of wind <laughs> or any, I, you know, I, I don't know if I'm trying to heat the woods or the stand, you know, like mm-hmm. I ain't going to do much with that. So. Yeah, yeah, we we were definitely like a, just a rough it and kind of bundle up. Uh, you can always take layers off. You can't add them. You know. Yeah, and something and uh, yeah, something you can, we live and die by. <laughs> <laughs> and you can probably speak to this. I am so anti getting sweated up on the walkout that like I have a vest, so I wear a blaze orange vest, like an upland vest, and I put my jacket in the back. Like I have a really thick, big, heavy jacket. And I stuff that thing in the back for the walkout and I'll have my bibs on, but I'll unzip the sides like all the way. So it's all flappy. You know, I'm like, I am so against getting sweated up right away because that just ruins the rest of your morning because you're so cold from that, you know, that initial cold of the sweat. And I am so, so dedicated to not getting sweated up on my walk. And it's not even funny. Well, yeah, that and it's like I've got. Probably, yeah, probably the farthest stand on the property from where we start off from the house. And you have to go uphill. So, yeah, it's uphill both ways, huh? Yeah. <laughs> you know, that old story, oh, I had to walk uphill both ways. I definitely do. Yeah. So um, so it's like, yeah, I just, I'm like, yeah, I should probably head out about 10 minutes before everyone else because I'm one of those people too. I don't want to get sweated up. Yeah. You know, and I wear everything out there. So it's like, I, I don't have a vest that I pack everything in. So it's like, yeah, I just kind of take my time set out a little bit earlier and just kind of walk. Plus I'm, I'm, I don't try to make a ton of noise while I'm walking into the woods. So I'll kind of take my time and walk in and try not to get all sweated up because um, once you get wet and sweated up like that, that can, can really change your hunt real quick. You start getting to that point of you're too cold or uncomfortable and mm-hmm. nobody wants to be in that situation. So, yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about, um, the advantages and disadvantages of shotguns. So I know we touched on the fact that we use shotguns. Um, well, let's talk about some of the advantages and disadvantages. And I'll start, I'll kick us off with the big disadvantage with shotguns is you don't get the range that you would out of a rifle. You, you can, you can get, you know, 
50 yards, maybe a little bit more with the setup we have. Uh, if you use Sabo's, you can maybe get 100, 150 with enough stopping power to kill a, a deer. Um, but, you know, with these guys shooting rifles, you know, 300 yards, you know, kind of thing. It, it really doesn't make the shotguns look like much at all. But, uh, yeah, you want to talk a little, more, a little bit more about that? You want me to hit on the cons or the pros? Uh, it's up to you. You can talk a little bit about both. Yeah, so definitely cons. You're looking at range. Um, but in our situation, kind of like we mentioned earlier, about 50 yards is like kind of the longest shot we kind of have in our area. So, I mean, for us, definitely it works. Uh, there are a few locations we have on the property where it'd be nice if you could get out a little bit farther. But, um, yeah. Uh, also cons, shotguns, uh, heavy, um, they are pretty heavy, kind of, but you're loading, you're loading them up with at least, you know, seven ounces of lead at a time kind of thing too. So, yeah, which I mean, it is when you're sitting, it's not so bad, but when you're carrying everything around, it can get a little heavy. Plus, and then you usually carry an extra box or two of rounds. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah. And then also, I guess another, I mean, I'm not a big time rifle guy. Um, but you know, a lot of these rifles now you can have 10 shots, you know, 15 shots, you know, mm-hmm. whatnot. So it's like for us, you know, with what we're running, it's five max, you know, yeah, five, so eight, five and one in the chamber. If you finagle it just right. Yeah. If you, yep, exactly. So it's like kind of limited on the amount of, uh, shots you have, but the pros of using a shotgun is if you hit your target and you hit where you want to hit it's a dead deer oh yeah there's it's it, you know, there's a lot of stopping power behind those 12 gauge slugs like it's yeah it's well that, uh, and very quick death and that slug leaves a pretty good size entrance and exit wound so mm-hmm. that's uh, a lot of damage well it's <laughs> <swift> deer. <laughs> yeah like so it's like yeah that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it's it leaves a pretty good hole so it's like you know as long as you get it in the vitals like you're you're gonna end up getting that deer so um and um you know it's that's i think the biggest pro of the shotgun is um if you do if you hit your target and you hit where you want to hit like you're you're gonna get your deer so mm-hmm. yeah and we hunt down south of you know like the, the st cloud area like we said and um you know, we one of the things that we have to go through is like an application process every year to get this thing called a back tag, which pretty much permits us to hunt. You know, I don't know for in city limits technically, but around the city. So they have this application process. They approve you. They give you this number, pretty much saying, "Okay, here is your permit to hunt in this area during this time for this season with this weapon," uh, kind of thing. So um, that's just a process that we have to go through. You know, hunting south a little bit more towards the metro area. Uh, you know, obviously those guys up north don't have to deal with that. That's just something that we, you know, have to do. And it, it, it adds to our experience, I guess you could say. Yeah, uh, it's something we have to do every year. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's kind of, that's you not, know, well, go ahead. You know, back in the day, like you actually used to have, they, they'd actually mail you a, a tag. Yeah. It was, a, it was like a laminated tag and you actually had to display it on your back. It was your back tag. Oh, and, I didn't uh, know that was before my time. I thought you just had yep. it in your wallet. <laughs> no, no, it was a legitimate. You had to have it visible back tag. 
And so what we do is we'd safety pin it to the back of our uh, blaze orange sweatshirts or jackets or whatever you're wearing, whatever your exterior blaze orange was. Um, you would pin it to it and they were laminated pieces of paper. And the thing is, is they would crinkle because you usually have your back up against your stand or your tree as a backrest and they would crinkle and catch on everything. Oh my God. They were a nightmare, you know, especially that time when you're trying not to make any noise and then you got, you know, this, this laminated ball. <laughs> yeah. So no, now they got away from that. Now it's just uh, the it's like uh, the slip. You just got to keep it on you. So put it in your wallet or your pocket or whatever. But yeah, it <laughs> it used to be horrible, absolutely horrible back in the day. That that was rough. So or and you can't lose it. You you know because mm-hmm. if the DNR would check you, you need to make sure you have that visible. So you can't just tell them, oh yeah, it's somewhere out on the back forty, laying somewhere. <laughs> yeah. You know so. And- a cool new thing that they're doing this year is they are doing the online one. So we sent in the forms via email. They sent us back the approved one, our back tag number, and it's on my phone. So I didn't need to print anything out. I didn't have a back tag, you know, physically with me, but I did have one. Um, so that's yep. something not kind of nice. You don't have to worry about that. You know, oh, how technology has evolved. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so I think we have, we're on the home stretch of our setup. What are our locations of like where our stands are? Why do we, why do you think they pick that spot? Cause you know, a lot of these stands are super old. Uh, so why do they pick that spot? And then what keeps deer coming back and keeping them in that area? So like on the property we hunt. So uh, here's a little bit of background. Uh, I used to be a gravel pit um, many, many, many years ago. Um, so a lot of like, the there's a large opening in the center of the property um that over the years has definitely grown up uh it's a lot thicker now than uh it ever used to be but um so we have these pockets of woods that um pretty much surround the whole perimeter of the property and so the stands are kind of set up in an area that enacts as a funnel uh between either man-made or natural barriers um so when you're looking at our property on the north end of our property, there is another active gravel pit. Um, and so uh, the deer generally don't walk through it. Uh, they have, but um, they generally stay on the edge of that in the wood line. Um, and then to the east of our property, there is um, more uh, housing. I guess you would say there's like a neighborhood over there uh, about a hundred yards, 200 yards up our property line, there starts to be houses. So um, there is kind of a funnel on the backside of those properties to our land. So they have woods in their backyard. Those deer generally stay away from the houses and they kind of funnel more into our property. So their stand set up for that. And then um, as of lately, um, there's also different stuff that's going on on other sides of the property that's more pushing deer into more funneling zones. So all the stands are kind of set up in a more strategic area um, to just kind of hold them areas between natural barriers and man-made barriers. So that way, you know, you kind of have a funneling of where the deer, they're not going to want to be walking around in the streets and whatnot. They're going to want to stay in the woods and whatnot. So mm-hmm. it's kind of where all our stands are. They're kind of strategically placed. And that's the reason why they've been there for 20, 30, you know, forever. And you keep shooting deer out of them. 
Yeah, because it's just it's the lay of the land, and that's you know there there's things that have changed that have definitely maybe hindered or greatly helped to stand. Um, but yeah, it's just kind of these natural funnels of where deer are coming into the property or leaving the property that we just kind of set up these stands or make sure that's where we you know where we keep hunting. So that's kind of that's kind of what we do out on our property, and it works for us. Um, so yeah, we don't really have much inside our property to necessarily pull deer there. Mm -hmm. Um, it's more, um, on one side of our property is field. So there's a food source. Um, so we get kind of more or less deer kind of passing through more than anything. Um, I and guess we also that. have that, those bottoms that they bed in or they could bed in. Yeah. Uh, we, we do have some boggy driving. bottoms. Yep. Mm -hmm. That they, that. They do bed down in. So, yeah, we have a little bit of stuff to kind of hold a little bit of deer, but the vast majority of the deer that uh, are shot on the property are definitely passing through, either looking for food, somewhere to mm -hmm. bed down, or it's it's a buck chasing a doe. So. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we don't use trail cams. You know, I, I'd say I'm comfortable saying that about half of just, like, strictly gun, gun, you know, deer – like firearm or uh, deer season, you know, hunters, uh, they're just going out with guns. I'm, I'm willing to bet that half of them or more don't use trail cams just for the reason that, you know, it's not like you're patterning deer like you would, you know, if you're an archery hunter and you're not, uh, maybe if you're just trying to discover like new spots, put stands or stuff like that. But I feel like for the most part that, you know, those firearm deer hunters aren't using those trail cams. Maybe that's just my like perception. What do you think about that statement? No, I, I, I agree. Um, a lot of guys that I do know that run trail cams, even even into the firearm season, they are bow hunters. So, um, you know, mm -hmm. bow season is, is a whole different animal uh, due to the rut not being on. So, or yeah. maybe not as, uh, not as, not as heavy. Like, going, yeah, not as yeah. heavy. So, uh, a lot of them bow hunters are more reliant on patterning deer on their property. So, therefore, they... Uh, they use a lot of those trail cams and things like that, which, I mean, that's great. It's a great technology. It's 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 something great that you can use to show you what's out there. If you're not obviously able to sit out there all the time and watch, you know, and it's definitely one of those innovations that have made things a lot easier for guys. Um, but it can also be mm -hmm. a guy's worst nightmare too, because you see <laughs> yeah. a big buck, right? And that that's the buck you want. Well, you know, it's you a go mad. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like uh, one of your buddies. He was he was sitting at one stand, and then he had a monster buck right walk right in front of his troll cam and right in front of another stand. You know, and he was wasn't sitting the right one that morning. Well, yeah, while he was out there, yeah, <laughs> he got an alert on his phone that the, one of his trail cams went off. And uh, when he got back to the truck, he was like, "Oh my god!" He goes, "That buck was <laughs> that buck was about three hundred yards away on the other side of the property, and it's the one he wants to." wanted to yeah. shoot so yeah it, like <laughs> yeah. i said it could be a great technology but i feel like uh it can also drive you mad but i mean it's just kind of part of the territory if you're gonna if you're gonna roll with trail cams but yeah i <laughs> yeah. would say for the vast majority of firearm hunters that i know uh, a lot of them aren't really are really caring what's in the area as far They're as going uh, anyway, you know yeah it, leading up to the rut because once the rut kicks in i don't i don't care how good you pattern deer on your property things become very chaotic and very different, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. 
last but not least for, you know, kind of our experience, let's talk about drives. And, you know, I guess this year and last year, we did them a little bit more than we kind of ever have. Um, I know we used to do them when we had more people hunting out on the property. Uh, could you talk a little bit about those older drives we used to do? And then now some of these kind of mini drives that we're doing now. And then, uh, yeah, just kind of explain it for the listener. Yeah. So, uh, essentially what a deer drive is, is when you walk through a particular part of your property where you have a feeling deer are bedded down or deer are sitting. Yeah. Like those high Um, percentage spots. Yep. And you generally do them, uh, like for us, we would always do them midday because that was our highest percentage of when deer were bedded down. They weren't moving. They were just kind of chilling out. And so what we would do is we would have a line of hunters and it was a small, narrow stretch of woods. But what happened is at the bottom, it was kind of on a hill. And as you progress through the woods, it would go down to this big, boggy bottom. And so what you do is you'd get a lot of deer that were up in the woods or they were down in this bottom, just bedded down. And so what you do is uh, we would have people walking through the woods and then we'd have people posted up on top of this bottom because it had a kind of a bowl shape to it, but um, not as steep side. So the deer, what would happen is they'd push down into this bottom and then they'd run up out of the bog and you'd be kind of sitting there waiting and then they kind of run right to you mm-hmm. and uh um so that's essentially what a drive is is you're pushing deer out of a piece of section of property or piece of property out to people that are waiting they're all posted up with their guns uh waiting for these deer to run out and uh so we used to do those more common back years ago when we had a lot more people that were hunting the property because um like I said, it's not a huge piece of woods, but it's definitely something where you had to spread out. Otherwise, what would happen is the deer would actually double back right behind you and run out the other side, and there was nobody over there. Um, so, yeah, that we used to do quite a bit back in the day. Um, and now, um, as that more opening in our on the property hunt has progressed throughout the years, there's a lot more willow swamps and bottoms that have, have more defined over the years and have built up so we we have a lot more deer that bed down in there now so what's nice about that is it's a lot smaller of a of a, of a bottom that we can walk with just a couple of guys and try and push deer and and uh um it's just a different tactic of hunting it, it, we like to do it just to kind of break up the midday kind of lull um so something will go out maybe we're coming in for lunch or uh somebody shot a deer and we're gonna go help them skin it or clean it out so we'll do a quick drive and um, see if we push anything out i mean this year we had me and you had that yearling um we pushed out (laughs) and the thing ran right in between us you know but uh you know so it's something like that you know just another way of hunting and there there are guys out there that um will not drive they don't like drives they think they're the worst thing ever and then there's guys out there that that's the only way they hunt is they love driving so yeah. it's just kind of more of a personal preference, preference whatever yeah. you want to do. So, yeah, for sure. Um, so let's fast forward to you know after the kill and meat processing. So we, at least I do, I take a lot of pride in uh, you know being able to skin, quarter, you know, uh, get our trimmings, get our steaks, all of that by ourselves. We don't send it into a processing plant, none of that. Um, 
you know, obviously we get sausage made by different butcher shops around the state kind of thing. Uh, you know, we, we do different recipes for, you know, homemade sausage, you know, summer sausage, all that jazz. But I, I take a tremendous amount of pride in, you know, doing that stuff ourselves. Um, so let's talk about, you know, why we do it ourselves, why it's so important to us that we do it ourselves. Um, and then how important venison is to, you know, our weekly week to week kind of basis as far as meals go, you know, how, how it's feeding us as well. Okay. Um, so I think, um, I think the biggest reason, um, why we process our own deer is, um, and, and it's nothing against butcher shops, nothing against them at all. They're a great kind of deal. Um, but you're not a lot of places. Now there are some out there, but not all places guarantee that you're going to get the same deer back that you brought in. Right. So if they have how many orders for maple sausage, they're going to mix up all the venison and they're going to make that many orders of maple sausage. Yeah. So one thing we do is we really clean our deer. So after we job with that, after we shoot a deer, gut it out, we get it back to the house. Before anything happens, it's getting rinsed, getting washed out for quite a while. Get all the blood out of it, get any of the dirt off, everything. Everything's getting washed out thoroughly. And then we have the luxury of having a big walk-in cooler. So none of our deer sit outside. They're never packed on ice. They're never left to freeze, nothing. Every one of them is strung up and placed in the cooler to stay at a nice, you know, 42-degree temperature. So the meat never freezes, it gets cooled and it ages. So that's what we do. And um, it's just, the thing is, is like we, you know, we process our own deer then. So we know what's going into it. We know where the meat came from. You know, I don't have to worry about getting my sausage back. And did the guy that his deer's mixed with mine, did he wash it out as good as mine? Did he take as good a care of his venison after the kill that, you know, and, Everybody does things a little bit different and to each their own kind of deal, but um, we definitely take care of our stuff. So it's like, I want to make sure that I'm getting the highest quality of meat back that, you know, I'm taking that time to ensure I get that quality. I want to make sure that's the quality I'm getting back. And so that's why we process all our own, all mm-hmm. our own deer. And we do take some stuff in, but most of the stuff we do take in is to yeah, um, those smaller butcher mm-hmm. shops and we or take processors. We take it to them in the spring as well when they're not busy. And then we also make sure that, you know, they guarantee we're getting our meat back. So, you know, we we jump through those loops to make sure we ensure we get our stuff back. Yeah. And then as far as like, what does venison do for our households? Um, So currently at this point we have in our family, we have three separate households that hunt. Um, So, uh, Meat plays a big factor in that because with what we shoot, we make hamburger, um, which we mix with beef. So we end up making a bunch of hamburger every year. And then we cut steaks upon steaks upon steaks. If it can be made into a steak, we make it into a steak kind of deal until we have an adequate amount of steak. So um, we do that. And then we also make sausage with, we make a lot of our own homemade sausage. So. Um, we make quite a variety of things um, that are like everyday kind of things. So 
if I'm making spaghetti, I'm using venison hamburger, you know, if, uh, or I'm making venison sausage, you know? So, um, yeah, it's just for us and the way we utilize our venison, it's like, it's kind of something that we utilize throughout the entire year. And, uh, we do a very good job of making sure that when the next deer season is coming around, we have nothing left over from the year before. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, we do a really, I think I looked in my freezer and I think I have two packages of sausage left and one package of hamburger. That's all I have from last year. And we so ran out a couple weeks ago. Yep. And so, yeah. Um, so now going into this season, obviously we are pretty much out of venison. So it's, it's a good way of, we time it out and, we only take what we need kind of deal. Uh, we're not one of those, uh, we don't, you know, we're not a, if it's brown, it's down kind of deal. It's some people are, and that's kind of, like I said, to each their own. Um, but we only take what we deem is necessary for us to make it throughout the year. So, but yeah, venison is a very crucial part of our, uh, our weekly lives. Yeah. And that's, I think it's a really good segue into our next kind of thing we want to talk about. And that is uh, trophy hunting versus meat hunting. And I'd say we're on the meat side of things, um, but we can talk about the two different sides and how, how they could sometimes clash. Um, and then after that, I will have a whole bunch of meat facts about venison with the health benefits of it ready to go. So let's talk about uh, some, meat, <laughs> some meat hunting and trophy hunting. All right. So this is like, uh, like an age old thing. Um, so you have people out there that, and I am neither for or against either of these groups. Like I said, I I do my own thing, right? I watch my own bobber kind of deal. Everybody can do whatever they want. Um, I'm not here to tell people what to do. Um, so we hunt for meat. That's what we do. But we also are ethical in how we hunt for meat. And what I mean by that is we don't shoot yearlings. We don't shoot fawns. We only take what we deem necessary for the year. We don't overtake. We don't overhunt nothing, nothing like that. So if we I, shoot I'd a also, big buck. I'd also like to mention ahead. that we're um, doing our very best to recover animals as quickly as possible, not let them suffer and make really high, high probability ethical shots on these animals, you know, not, yeah. not making these super long pokes and just, you know, hoping you hit something, just, you know, taking those shots where you're more than confident that you're able to, to kill that animal. Cause I think that's super huge. Uh, as at least for me is that if I'm shooting, I'm killing and I'm killing him as fast as I can. Yeah. But, um, so like for us, how like we hunt and how we hunt is like, if we shoot a big buck, great. We shot a big buck, you know, and, it, it, did you did, you know if that six pointer walks by and you know we'll shoot that six point you know um we're not one of those people oh it's a six point let them grow to next year um and that also has to do with kind of our area so 80 acres we are not able to manage a deer population on our land it's not quite big enough plus we do have uh quite a few neighbors that do hunt around us now, I honest to God couldn't tell you what their hunting style is like. I don't know if they're trophy hunters. I don't know if they're meat hunters, but I can tell you what, they do quite a bit of shooting. So at the end of the day, if I don't shoot that six point, the neighbor might shoot that six point or he might let it go. But I'm also at a point 
in the season, everything's a little bit different. If we're just starting off, okay, I, I we need three deer this year. Okay, well, that's six points, one of them. And, you know, that mature doe, that's another one. You know, and then, you know, that eight point over there, that's another one. Okay, so now I have my deer. So now I'm done. But there are people out there that prefer to hunt for antlers. They would prefer to let that six walk until it's an eight or a 10 or a 12 and so on and so forth. And a lot of these people are more capable of managing their land. They have 100, 200, 300 acres or whatnot. Or maybe they're all in uh, kind of agreement with their neighbors and, hey, you know, we want to try and grow a bigger deer population out here. And, and they invest the money and the time into that. And that's perfectly fine. I mean, I have no problem with people that want to do that. Um, I think it's cool. I've seen some guys shoot some absolute wicked bucks. And, you know, and it's kind of cool. They can kind of show you the buck's lineage. They've got pictures of it or have seen it so many years in a row. And it's now matured into something that they deem as a trophy. And they harvest the deer and, you know, more power to them. That's great. But the biggest clash is, uh, and it doesn't really ever come from the meat hunters. Meat hunters are kind of do their own thing. They shoot their deer and go about their way. The trophy hunters generally have a problem with the meat hunters because they claim that they shoot all their deer year before they mature which i mean um it, it's oh, funny I, it really is it, it is because it happens, it's like, but <laughs> you know like it, you know i get it if you if you want to invest your time and your money into into managing your property and your deer more power to you you know you do you um but at the same time, if your neighbor wants to shoot that eight point that you've been waiting years on to get to a 10 or a 12, I mean, you can't be mad at the guy either because he's just doing what he wants to do too, you know? And you always see it online and everybody's, it's always a big uproar in between, oh, Minnesota should have a point restriction or we should have a size restriction. And, you know, and that's not for everyone. You know, if, if, you know, there's a lot of people I know that, you know, they might not be able to afford to buy beef all year long. So for them to spend $20 to go shoot a buck or a nice doe and yield some meat for the year, you know, like that's what they do, you know. And then I also know guys that have no problem purchasing beef throughout the year. And if they get a nice big buck and a trophy, like that's a bonus to them, you know. So like I said, everybody's in yeah. a little bit of a different situation. So. I don't know. Uh, like I said, we hunt for meat and, you know, obviously we are ethical, like I said before, in what we take. Fawns and yearlings always get the pass. Small bucks a lot of times get the pass. And it's not necessarily because, oh, he's only a, f a four-pointer. I'm not going to shoot him. It's is my is my buck tag worth burning on that, you know? Yeah, you only get one of those. Exactly. So it's like, uh, you know, he could, I could, I could shoot a bigger buck. There's bigger bucks around. Okay. You know, but like a mature doe and you know, where we hunt, we, we have the availability to purchase bonus doe tags and whatnot. So yeah, I'll definitely shoot a mature doe. I have no problem with that. Like I said, that that's like the age old kind of rivalry, the uh, yeah. trophy hunter versus the meat hunter. And yeah. I don't see it going anywhere anytime soon. So. Yeah. So I got some good facts. So I actually did a whole research presentation on the, you know, 
advantages of eating wild game and especially venison. Uh, so listen to some of this for you guys. It has lower saturated fat than your grocery store meat. It has a higher proportion of polyunsaturated fatty acids, which is like really good for you. Um, also has high iron, zinc, um, omega-3s, which help your cholesterol and other body functions. Um, there are no added hormones or preservatives, assuming that, you know, you're not feeding them some uh, some steroid, you know, food plots kind of thing, which <laughs> I guess I've never really heard of, but you're not getting the, the hormones or growth hormones that you're getting on some of these farms to raise them up fast. Um, the DHA found in venison decreases fat storage in your body, which um, it also helps you build lean muscle at the same time. Um, venison is very lean meat. You don't have all that fat to deal with. And then at the same time, you get to fulfill your primal instinct to eat meat, which is what Steven Ranella from Meat Eater is all about. <laughs> so um, not to mention the cost. The cost of, of venison is like, crazy cheap you know you go out you buy a $20 tag sometimes it's more than that I'm sure adult tags are more um but you go out and you spend your time I guess you spend a little bit of money on a gun your ammo and you know you can you're able to provide for your family uh year in and year out you don't have to go to the grocery store you can ensure the quality of your meat which is kind of what we do um you know they're, they're, they're also living a free life. So these people out here that are always like, oh, you know, animal cruelty on the farms, you don't have to deal with that. Then, uh, you know, I know a lot of people are really worried about the chronic wasting disease, which I actually did a whole nother paper on, uh, you know, not too long ago. And that CWD cannot be transmitted to humans as of now. Um, that I'm as of now to kind of cover my, cover my butt in the long run if it ever does, which it's not expected to at all uh it is a fairly scary thing on the way it spreads but not a huge concern for us quite yet um something to be aware of for sure but nothing nothing quite like that um you know not to mention that venison is just like you know reduces the risk of your heart attacks and strokes because it's that leaner meat it you know helps regulate your metabolism and you know it's just really really solid for you and you can do it all yourself so uh, that's why I guess I'm so big on, you know, eating and providing for yourself. It's just not only does it keep you physically fit, but some of the vitamins and, and minerals you get out of uh, out of that wild game that you don't find in grocery store foods ultimately lead to a better diet and lifestyle for you. So there's my little two cents on, on venison and, and all the effects it gives you. So that's what I got. Plus, <laughs> plus you know where it came from. That's oh, yeah. Part. And you can ensure the quality and sometimes oh, yeah. that's worth uh it's worth a lot yeah it is you know kind of a more peace of mind yeah for sure and uh i think that's all i got for you am i missing anything no i don't think so yeah that was a solid hour and 22 minutes so <laughs> that's pretty fun that who knew that we could talk about deer hunting for that long and i'm sure if we don't deep dive into everything we're sure we could have made it even longer oh, but yeah. Kind of skim the surface <laughs> on a lot of this stuff. <laughs> you so. mentioned if we had dad on here, he'd be talking oh. about it still. Yeah, there's another 20 some years, 30 years on top of us of what he knows. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, uh, well, thank you for coming on. I appreciate your time. And, uh, this episode will be coming out tomorrow. So, it should be fun. Sounds, sounds good. Thanks for having me. Yep. Have a good night. Yeah, you too. Bye. Bye. Mm-hmm.
Well, folks, that is all I got for you guys for this week. I hope this episode made up for me not having the episode out last week. You know, it's a long episode. Probably took you guys like a you know a good chunk of time to listen to it, and I appreciate it if you made it this far. Um, do not forget follow me on Instagram at Welly Sportsman Show. I do have shirts. Drop a DM. You know, I'll get them. I'll ship them out if I really need to. Um, but I got shirts in. So feel free to hit me up and get you one. I plan on posting them on my story sometime soon. I am recording this Tuesday night, so I'm sure by Wednesday at some point I will post it on my Instagram story. So make sure you check out my friends at Relevant.Life as well. They are making the best science-based solutions for the outdoor enthusiasts, um, and they're killing it right now. I know their Instagram is down, which is a bummer because I can't tag them. But uh, their Facebook is up and running. Their website is up and running. So, yeah, it's great. You know, it's a great day to be alive. You know, we got this upcoming weekend, hopefully do a little bit of pheasant hunting, do some fishing. You know, who knows? Like, I'm just excited, you know. An open weekend. It's been a while. Uh, but I hope this episode was fun. I hope you guys um, aren't mad at me for not posting a, an episode last week. And without further ado, that is all I have for you guys for this week. Thanks, like I said before, for listening, especially if you made it this far. That's like a full, like, an hour and, like, 25-ish minutes that you guys just dedicated to supporting me and the podcast, and I can't thank you enough. So with that, have a good rest of your week. Look forward to my episode next weekend, and God bless.